0: in your copy of God's word to uh, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We are continuing our sermon series uh, through the Gospel of Mark and as you probably gathered as we sung our psalms this mor- our songs this morning, you probably noticed much of the theme was on bread and wine and, and really the Lord's Supper and that was purposeful because what we read of here today in Mark chapter 14 uh, verses 22. Uh, through 25 is the official installation uh, of the lord's supper i have to say before we uh, read i, I contemplated and, and and dabbled with the thought of maybe uh having the lord's supper today uh, since we are going to be looking at the lord's supper in our sermon but i actually think today is a, a perfect day uh to to read from this passage and to learn uh, of this installation of the lord's Supper, uh, because. Uh, According to our denomination, we are to let you know a week in advance uh, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper so that you can go throughout that week, Monday through Saturday, preparing your hearts uh, to come to the Lord's table. And so I would ask you as you sit under the word read and preached today that you would consider these things, consider the privilege that is ours uh, to enter into the table, the table of the new covenant. And contemplate these things in your heart throughout this week and be prepared and ready to come and to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Now with that introduction out of the way, let us now read from Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we pray and we ask that you would give us a newfound understanding of what it is that we participate in when we take bread and we take from the cup, from the fruit of the grape, and that that we would understand and you would impress upon us the privilege that is ours that you would impress upon us the solemn responsibility that is ours to to, to participate in this supper, as the Lord says, until he comes again, that you would impress upon us the great benefits and blessings, the means of grace that the supper is to the souls of your saints. Even now, as we read from this uh, the words of Christ and his official installation of the Lord's Supper, write your truth upon our hearts afresh this morning, we pray and lift our souls up to consider Christ, who has broken his body as a sacrifice for us and who has shed his blood to appease your holy wrath against sin. And speak to our hearts the truth of our Lord and Savior and help us to have a zeal to live for him and for his glory. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Within the technology world today, there is a process that has been going on uh, for some time, which is known as miniaturization. Miniaturization. Uh, Miniaturization is simply uh, the shrinking down to size, really, our technological gadgets and and technological devices, Uh, and being able to pack powerful and useful information into those little tiny gadgets, into those little tiny devices. Uh, you see it often you all have cell phones most most of you I imagine have cell phones and and you know much of the world today the more impressive the cell phone is it, the more th- the thinner it is the more impressive it is. Uh, the thinner the the laptop is the more impressive it is. That is really part and parcel of this process known as miniaturization. Uh, think of the computer chip uh, which comprises the processing and and memory units of the the modern digital computer, uh, an extremely powerful and important device. Yet when you look at that computer chip, it almost looks like an insignificant insect. But within that little computer chip that you could fit on your pinky, there's powerful amount of information, a massive amount of information. And this process of miniaturization is really only in its infant stage. If you read technological magazines, which I don't, but I'm told, I know some of you do, but if you read these technological uh, magazines, this, this, this process of, of miniaturization is really in its infant stage. Technological gurus are constantly uh, seeking to make technological gadgets and devices and technological information smaller and smaller. And the smaller it is, the more impressive it is. The smaller it is, it seems, the more power is embedded within that device and technology. And I want to suggest to you that this process of miniaturization that we see within the the technological world today is actually a great analogy for what we see time and time again in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Just think of the words of of Paul in Philippians 2, that Jesus Christ, who, though he was equal with God, made himself nothing by becoming a man, by becoming a servant. We could say, if you will, he started, he began that process of miniaturization. He was uh, in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. He was born of that that no-name town of Nazareth who who Nathaniel will say in John 1, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He he dines with tax collectors and sinners, the very outcasts of society. His best friends are mere fishermen, not the higher-ups in society, not the aristocrats of society. Really, how it was that Jesus, uh, think about Recall how it was that Jesus was uh, coming into Jerusalem. As we read back in Mark chapter 11, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, how does he enter into Jerusalem? His holy city, David's holy city. He comes not riding on a stallion or on chariots of horses. He comes riding on a dumb donkey. Christ had a knack for making himself small. He miniaturized himself time and time again. And that process of miniaturization, we will see as we read and as we trek through to the end of the book of Mark, we will see that miniaturization process goes all the way to the cross, where he becomes as small as he has ever been. He's left by his friends. He's betrayed by Judas. He's mocked ridiculed and beaten a most unimpressive end for our lord and savior as small as he possibly can be hanging on a cross yet when he is at his smallest as he hangs on a cross it is when his glory and his power is most prominently seen and is most prominently put on display Christ, as he has dwindled down to size, much like our technology today, his power is enhanced. His impressive character, glory, and authority is magnified in the eyes of his Father in heaven and in the eyes of all those who have eyes to see Christ for who he truly is, the one who is equal with God, yet made himself nothing for us. And so how fitting is it that he would attach his body to the most basic food, bread? That he would attach his his blood that that is spilled for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, that he would attach it to a simple cup and just a simple sip? Isn't it a marvel when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, a supper that commemorates the God of the universe come down to save the world that we simply take a computer-sized, a computer-chip-sized piece of bread and a small little cup to commemorate our Lord and what he has done to save the world. Yet in that computer-chip-sized bread, in that tiny cup, Christ says, This is my body. This is my blood. And so what I want to do this morning is really just look at those two elements in the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. Bread and wine that you, you have probably seen if you've grown up in the church, you know these elements well. You've, you've probably participated in the Lord's Supper for many, many years. And, and what I hope to do this morning is just give us a greater clarification and understanding of those two elements that we participate in that Christ himself uses as he installs the lord's supper this supper of the new covenant so what we'll be doing is quite simple we'll just look at those elements in order we'll look at the bread and then we will look at the wine so first the bread in verse 22 we read that jesus took bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples now it's as we looked at last week this is all taking part during the Passover, this really is a a Passover meal that Jesus is participating in with his disciples. And during the Passover feast that was held annually within the walls of Jerusalem, uh, the head of the household, the one that would lead the Passover liturgy for the meal, would take bread and he would lift it up and he would say these words, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Come and eat the Passover meal. The father then, after uttering those words, would give thanks for the bread, and he would break off a piece of that bread and distribute it to the family members sitting around the table. And they would often eat that bread in silence. Yet here something unique takes place. Jesus Christ breaks that silence and he utters the words take this is my body clearly jesus is saying here that his body is symbolized by this bread what is the significance of of jesus symbolizing his his body with with this bread what is the significance to the ears of, of these disciples this initial audience of this lord's supper what would be the significance of christ saying that his body is this bread that they are about to eat well first in the bible bread is often really shorthand for sustenance bread is god's daily sustenance for his people his food that blesses his people with and that sustains and and preserves his people just think of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives to the disciples and to us where he says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily provisions. Give us, give us our daily uh, sustenance, our life source that will keep us moving and help us to, to honor and glorify you. Now there it's, it's spoken of in a physical sense. Give us our daily physical provisions, our daily sustenance. John 6, 51 the famous passage you know it well Jesus says there I am the living bread that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever and this bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh Christ as he links himself to bread there in John 6 is really saying that he is our life source just as bread gives strength to the physical body So also Christ gives strength to the spiritual body. He restores, he refreshes, he sustains the souls of his covenant children. He is the life source, the sustenance, the spiritual food for his people. He revives our spirit. I ask you today, brothers and sisters, are you today spiritually malnourished? Are you in a spiritual wasteland? Do you have no spiritual strength and vitality? Are you simply sort of going through the motions? When was the last time, I ask you tonight, or today, when was the last time that you fed on Christ? Have you done as the church in Ephesus did in Revelation 2 and have abandoned their first love? Have you searched out endless ways to feel spiritually satisfied, that is surrounding Christ, but it isn't Christ himself. Notice Christ doesn't say, take, this is justification. Take, this is sanctification. Take, this is adoption. Take, this is glorification. No, he says, hey, this is my body. Do you know all the sound doctrines surrounding Christ? without knowing Christ himself. Have you fallen in love with doctrine but have not yet fallen in love with Christ? Justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, all the doctrines we know, especially well within Reformed circles, they are all benefits and blessings that flow from Christ. But they are not the bread itself. They are concepts, they are doctrines that explain and help us to understand the benefits and blessings that flow from Christ himself. But if we think we have justification, sanctification, and adoption, if we memorize all these doctrines without having Christ, we have nothing. We have none of these blessings that flow from the person of Jesus Christ. Christ and Christ alone is the life source. He is the bread of heaven come down. And union and communion with him then, we have justification, we have sanctification, we have adoption, we have glorification, but it all must start with him. We must have personal relationship, union and communion with Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Second, the breaking of bread symbolized fellowship. Breaking bread together was often a sign of fellowship. It was a a gesture of of friendship and and communion. In the Passover, the head of the household would would break the bread and and distribute it, as Jesus does here with his uh, disciples, and they would eat of the one bread together. Christ, by not only tying himself to the bread, but tying himself to the bread that is distributed among his disciples, pledges his abiding presence with us as we partake in the bread he binds himself to. William Lane writes this, as certainly as the disciples eat the bread which Jesus hands to them, so certainly will he be present with them when they gather gather for table fellowship. When we gather together for the Lord's Supper as we're going to do in a week, and distribute the bread and eat the bread together as the the elders come around and distribute the bread to you, we are sharing in a meal with the head of the household, with Christ, the head of the new covenant, with the master, with the teacher who teaches us as the head of the household always did during the Passover, who teaches us of redemption, but not only does he teach us of redemption, but he himself is the redemption itself. And as we feed on the bread, we are not only dining with Christ, we are feeding on him who is our life source, who is our means of redemption. In Luke's account of the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, Jesus says, this is my body which is given for you. Now, certainly, Jesus doesn't intend to say that the bread is his body. His body is right there in front of the disciples. There's no need for that body to take on some sort of magical transformation. As he installs the Lord's Supper, he is there bodily, saying that this is my body. Rather, what this is is what theologians have often called sacramental language where God so binds himself to the realities of his promises, to his sacraments, to his signs and seals of the covenant, that he speaks of the sacrament as though it were the promise itself. And we see this throughout God's actions in redemptive history. Just think for a moment of God and his encounter with Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 10. There God says to Abraham, This is my covenant. What is your covenant, God? What is the covenant that God is making with Abraham? What does he say? Every male among you shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Circumcision is so tied to the promises of the Abrahamic covenant that God binds himself to that tangible thing so much that he says it is the covenant itself. Think of God's promise to Noah in Genesis 9, that he will never again flood the earth, and he gives Noah a sign, which is the rainbow in the sky. And in Genesis 9, verse 16, God says, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature that is on the earth. Now, the 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 rainbow there has no magical power or spell over God. Where he is about to, to flood the earth and he sees the rainbow and he says, Whoops! I forgot. That's not what we're supposed to see in this rainbow and in this sign. Rather, he so binds himself. And his promises to the sign of the covenant, that the sign is spoken of as though it is the covenant itself. This is my body. And when we grab hold of that sign of bread by faith, we truly, brothers and sisters, feed on Christ. We truly share in the promises that his broken body gives us forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God the Father and fellowship with his Son. It is sacramental language whereby God so binds himself to the signs and seals of the covenant as Paul will call them in Romans 4 that in partaking of that sign by faith we truly partake in the reality that is signified in that sign. It is a means of grace whereby God truly, spiritually feeds us, his children, through the physical, tangible sacrament that we can taste, that we can touch of the new covenant. So that as the spirit binds himself to the bread and we eat in faith, we spiritually, truly feed on that bread that has come down from heaven. It is God's condescension to us, finite, weak, and feeble sinners, that he gives us tangible, physical signs as a means of feeding us spiritual truths and feeding us Christ himself. This is my body. Second element, and finally, the wine. Verse 23 through 24, Jesus then takes a cup, And after having given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, wine being a a symbol of blood is, is something that we find in the Old Testament. Genesis 49, verse 11, speaks of the blood of grapes. And in Deuteronomy 32, 14, it speaks of the foaming blood of grapes. So this is a symbolism that was was well understood by the disciples as they are seeing uh, uh, Christ pick up this cup of wine and say, this is my blood. This is something that they would have understood. There was precedent for this in the Old Testament. But there is even deeper, more profound symbolism in the fact that Jesus adds the word covenant. Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. We read earlier from Exodus 24, verse 8, where Moses ratified and confirmed the old covenant by showering the Israelites with the blood of the animal sacrifices. Here, what is it that Christ is doing? He is establishing and ratifying a new covenant, showering his new covenant children, not with the blood of bulls and goats, with the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Jeremiah 31 speaks of the new covenant that is to come. And what does this new covenant that Jeremiah prophesies of? What does it promise? Verse 34. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. When we drink from the cup by faith. We are sprinkled not with the blood of animals, but we are sprinkled with the blood of Christ, but with the blood of Christ, which alone takes away sin. We grip onto the new blood of the new covenant that brings promises of sins being wiped away as far as the east is from the west, that makes us white as snow, spotless in God's sight. Think for a moment of a little child that, that has been playing outside in the dirt and in the mud and he and he comes in and he's dirty and filthy from playing outside and he comes to his mother and his mother starts that bath and puts his her little child in that bath and takes that soap and rubs off all that dirt that that child had from playing outside. So also when we come to the table, when we come to the table on Sunday from that filth and dirt sins, those burdens that we've been carrying Monday through Saturday, that blood is like that cleansing agent that that cup is to signify that, that soap that wipes us white as snow. A blood that Luke will tell us is shed for you. A blood that is shed for you. Jesus says in Luke 22. In Luke's account, this is my blood which is shed for you. It's a blood that has a purpose. And its purpose, its, get, its end game, its goal is to cover you His people. If you call yourself a Christian today, if you believe that Christ is Lord and Savior, then when you come and take the cup, it is to be a guarantee of, It is to be an assurance to your souls that are often downtrodden, that are often burdened by sin. It is a guarantee and an assurance to you that Christ's blood is for you and that it has been shed for you and for your sins. Verse 25, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, during the Passover meal, there would often be four cups of wine that they would drink throughout that Passover meal. The four cups of wine were interpreted in terms of the the fourfold promise that we get in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. First, I will bring you out. Second, I will rid you of their bondage, speaking of Egypt. Third, I will redeem you. Fourth, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And each cup subsequently in order would, would correspond to that, that fourfold promise. The cup that Christ has just drunk from, the cup that we, we consider when we come together for the Lord's Supper corresponds with that, that third promise and that fourfold promise that God would redeem his people. But that fourth that fourth cup that would end the Passover meal, that speaks of the consummation of God's kingdom, of God dining with his people and being with his people. It is that cup that Jesus does not partake in. That fourth cup that would mark the end of Christ's fellowship with his disciples, he doesn't drink from because he plans to extend that fellowship into his eternal kingdom that will reach its consummation when Christ comes again. And we will dine with Christ face to face, and we will drink new wine. Just as the cup is to draw us back to what has already been accomplished, so also it is to draw us forward to that fourth cup, to that day when we will drink that fourth cup anew with Christ in his heavenly kingdom. Just as the cup is to draw our hearts back to the cross, so also it is to draw our hearts forward to the heavenly banquet when we will dine with Christ and drink new wine. No longer coming with sinful distractions within our hearts, but coming to the table in new resurrected bodies, with sin completely vanquished, with Christ before our eyes. Oh, how good that wine will taste. Doesn't food always just taste better when you're on vacation? It always tastes better when you're on vacation. You have no, you have no distractions as you eat and you take that bite. You have no thoughts and stresses of daily life filling your mind as you're, you're eating that food. You're able to savor every bite for that one week or maybe two so also when we drink that fourth cup, when we drink that new wine, there will be no Satan trying to deceive us, saying, you're too great of a sinner. Christ's blood is not for you. You're too guilty. You're too filled with shame. You should not participate. Satan will be destroyed. There will be no tempter. There will be no anxiety, depression, stress, There will be no sadness no indwelling sin clouding our vision of christ as we are taking part of that sign that is meant to point us to christ our physical bodies will not be failing riddled with disease and pain we will eat with glorified bodies sin destroyed satan destroyed every tear wiped away from our eyes oh how good that new wine will taste as sin is completely destroyed we will be in paradise not for a week not for two weeks but for eternity and we will savor every bite and every sip with no sinful distraction surrounding us no tempter saying that we are not worthy oh how good it will taste let's pray Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that Jesus Christ has come. And not only has he come, O oh Lord, but he has given us these two tangible signs, these physical elements that we can taste, touch, and smell. And as we taste, touch, and smell, you you speak to our very senses of the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood that he has shed for us and the broken body that he has, that he has broken and so we pray, oh, Father, that this week, that as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, you would write these eternal truths upon our hearts, that we would live for Sunday, that we would do all that we do, looking ahead towards Sunday, looking ahead toward that table where we will dine together as your saints, as a family, dining with the head, and that we would be prepared and ready to be fed with your Son. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ our lord amen would you please stand for our closing hymn come me thankful